It's pretty warm in these rhinos. That's what we call summer. And, you know, global warming. Because, whew, is it shaping up to be a hot one this year. With things like melting ice caps, rising sea levels, increasing frequency and strength of natural disasters, crazy plagues, faster melting margaritas, a blight of balminess, and above all, unseasonably warm weather. Why are there so many people out there that don't believe climate change is real? Well, as easy as it would be to say that corporate greed and anti-science hacks are just out for themselves, that isn't quite the whole story which is what we'll be getting into this week on Globally Heated. Hello to everyone out there just trying to exist. I'm Sam. Of course you tried to speak in iambic pentameter. Why does that not surprise me at all? <laughs> and I'm Alex. <laughs> Why is your guys' podcast so expensive to produce? Well, we had to spend $1,000 developing a program specifically to edit out Sam's silent, choking laughter. <laughs> and, and this, this is, is Globally Heated. Our little blue globe is going through some changes, and there's so much going on. It could be hard to get past all the headlines, hyperbole, which is also pronounced hyperbole, and sound bites, and into the nuances, the gritty complex facts, and the really important yet often overlooked crunchy nougat centers of disaster, climate, social issues, and everything in between, and around, and behind. So join us each week as we travel with you down the rabbit hole to investigate the intersections of disaster and climate with our everyday lives, and what we can all do with this crazy, hectic, rapidly heating world of ours. Welcome to episode eight of Globally Heated. Where we dive deep into your brain. We're gonna have a good little wriggle around in that gray matter. Maybe a relaxing backstroke through your corpus callosum. Perhaps a little tug on the primary motor cortex. Shine some light into that occipital lobe. And finish off with a little tickle at the frontal lobe, of course. Wow, yeah. That was disturbing, Alex. You're right, you're right. Let me try again. Welcome to our eighth episode, where we reach into your mind and dredge up all that mental flotsam that makes it hard to think about global warming, long-term consequences, and preparing for disasters before they ruin all our vacation plans. Better in the sense that it wasn't technically worse. That's all I strive for. Anyway... This week, we're discussing why climate change is such a difficult topic for humans as a whole to get our minds around and take action on, specifically from a psychological perspective. Now, I'm not going to lie, I nerded out hardcore doing research on this topic, and I could probably talk about it for hours at this point, but I'll try to keep it concise. Not always your strong suit. One might say your Faroka's area is a little too developed. Boom, neurology burn. (laughs) Yeah, okay, thanks. As I was saying, this is a big topic. There has actually been quite a bit of research done on it, and a lot of that research has been solutions-focused, which is a bit of a change for us, and it's really exciting, to my nerdy trainer brain at least. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. 
my inner psych major has a tendency to ramble, so Alex may have to rein me in on this one. But to try to keep us on track, we're going to start by highlighting the psychological lessons found in a very helpful paper published back in 2015 titled Improving Public Engagement with Climate Change, Five Best Practice Insights from Psychological Science. We're going to quote these directly from the article and then dive a little deeper into what they mean and how we can use them. So, number one, the human brain privileges experience over analysis. Great. So now you're wondering what exactly that means and how it applies. It seems pretty vague and maybe a little confusing, right? It's hard to start thinking about the human brain as separate from what we think of as humans. One could say it's hard to wrap our brains around it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the concept in and of itself is actually pretty simple. People are wired to value and believe lived experience, theirs or that of people close to them, over simple numbers, statistics, data, or more esoteric concepts. If your cave friend says that brontosaurus outside is dangerous, you may not actually believe them, especially if it looks like that brontosaurus is pretty slow moving as it walks past your cave. How could it be dangerous? Until you almost get hit by that giant swinging tail yourself, you may not believe your cave friend. As an aside, I know dinosaurs went extinct millions of years before the first hominids ever evolved, but you may still at me and claim I don't know what evolution is. We could really use the social media traffic. Anyway, back to our point that humans struggle to accept data over personal experience. Well, that's kind of rough, right? Especially when it comes to communicating about climate change. Because a lot of climate change discussion is had through conversations about carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere, a specific degree of temperature rise that we can't get above if we want to divert catastrophe, the number of feet sea level is going to rise if we go to that specific temperature within X number of years, which is weird because we should really be using meters instead of feet, but that's a whole different thing. They're all numbers anyway. We use a lot of numbers and abstract data when we're communicating with others about climate change. Climate change is often hard to touch, chew on, poke with a stick, capture in a picture, or any of the other ways we humans experience things firsthand. Numbers don't equal personal experience, but there are a lot of numbers, and personal experience is harder to relate to global climate change. There are a lot of numbers. We can't overemphasize the amount of numbers. So many numbers. We're just going to keep saying it, repeating it over and over, so like, numbers, we get numbers. it through. All the numbers. But those numbers obviously are not getting through. So how do we focus on experience without losing the science? Easy. We focus on talking through how climate change is already affecting weather and other highly experiential events for an area or group that matters to our audience. For example, if I were still in Paraguay, I could have done this by discussing how increasing temperatures and decreasing rainfall have created the perfect environment for wildfires by telling the story about how I had to help my neighbor put out a grass fire that was rapidly turning into a forest fire on the hottest, driest, windiest day my community had ever seen with buckets. And all this was after large portions of the country had been blanketed in smoke for weeks from wildfires 
which are not actually common at all in that country. That's right. And that's actually a really good, relatable story. I don't even know those people, but I'm still like, oh, dang, that climate change causing all those fires. Let's do something about it. So you have to make things relevant, relatable, and accessible. Talk through lived experience or bring up what a nearby community is experiencing and connect that to global warming itself. Now on to number two on the list. People are social beings who respond to group norms. This one is a little tougher to piece out into immediate action because behavioral change is hard. But one thing that could help with making environmentally friendly behaviors into social and cultural norms that we all do in our daily lives, barely even thinking about it, is if they're included into school cultures and curriculums, encouraged in the workplace, and integrated into our government institutions. The more chance people have to interact with them, the more normalized they become to these environmentally friendly actions. A great example is recycling. This act has become so normalized in American culture that even many folks who are climate change skeptics still chuck those problematic plastics into the big blue bin. Peer pressure, better accept it's a big deal. Also, at some point, we're going to have to do a pod on uh, recycling because that's a whole thing in and of itself. True, true. But that's for another day. Yes. So, continuing on. But first, Let's take a quick break so we can make some fake money on a fake commercial. Oh, yeah. This week's episode of Globally Heated is brought to you by Awkwardly Low Water Pressure. Do you just love hopping in the shower after a long, sweaty, dirty work day to find only a trickle coming out of your shower head? Do you prefer scrubbing your dishes for hours because your kitchen sink can't produce more force than a solid drip drip? Try Awkwardly Low Water Pressure, the best solution for everyone who just really hates when things are clean. And welcome back. Number three on the list. Out of sight, out of mind. Reduce psychological distance. This one plays into what we discussed in number one. We as humans struggle to comprehend and process, or place much importance or value on, Things that exist physically or temporally far away. If it's not going to affect us here and tomorrow, it goes further down the priority list and we spend less time, energy, and effort on it. There are apparently a bunch of fun, sciencey, biological, and psychological reasons for why that's the case. But I deleted those eight pages of our script so Sam can't make this podcast 17 hours long. You're welcome, everyone. Instead... We're going to talk about how to mitigate this particular shortcoming of the human brain and get people motivated to do something about climate change. In this case, we need to put a heavy emphasis on what climate change impacts we are already seeing today, and pulling out local examples is best. If you can talk about how extreme heat in your city is driving up hospital visits, driving down tourism and the economy, and putting your neighbor's grandmother's life in jeopardy, leaving you to care for an overexcitable pug with a urinary tract infection, you're good to go. That's your go-to for making climate change relatable? Pets with UTIs? Gross. I demand another topic. 
Well, you took out a wonderful lecture on evolutionary selection for a biological and neurological predisposition for short-term prioritization of goals and threat reactions. I can't swap that for a few adorable if sick when they pee pet examples? No. No more pets with UTIs in this episode. It hath been declared. You can't declare that. Can you? Sure can. Those are the rules in this podcast. I really should have read my contract. Fine. Moving on. Number four on the list. Framing the big picture. Nobody likes losing, but everyone likes gaining. Now, this is an interesting one. Surprisingly enough, according to an NPR article on this same subject, humans are actually more willing to tolerate risk when they know they are facing losing something. In the case of climate change, our whole conversation is centered on what we are going to lose. Biodiversity, coastlines, a tolerable climate, infrastructure and whole cities, endangered and non-endangered species alike, the world as we know it, even potentially the whole human species, if we let things get too out of hand. But no one wants to hear that. It's terrifying. And apparently, hearing that actually seems to be completely ineffective in galvanizing action because people are willing to risk more when things already look bad. Hmm, this boat seems to be sinking. We might drown. Well, we might as well not let this flamethrower go to waste then. So, what is a climate activist or a politician working to end climate change? Or a scientist working on the issue? Or just plain old you and me supposed to do with that information? Well, we have to reframe the conversation. I love reframing, by the way. That's good. I'm glad you love reframing. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of my favorite things to do. So, like a compulsive gambler on a losing streak, instead of focusing on the things we stand to lose if we do nothing about climate change, we need to focus on the things we will gain from taking action. Cleaner air from less or no use of fossil fuels. Ecosystem services restored that protect against the dangers of natural disasters. Cleaner oceans and waterways that mean healthier communities for both animals and humans. Even things like more opportunities for business and economic growth, new and better jobs, a stronger country less dependent on finite fossil fuels, and even lower healthcare costs. If we frame stopping climate change as a net positive in terms of what we can gain from it, we're much more likely to incentivize and motivate change. Well, and that brings us to number five on the list. Playing the long game, tapping the potential of human motivation. That's a lot of words to say, play to people's intrinsic or internal values rather than their extrinsic, monetary or materialistic values. We've seen a lot of plans and policies that try to address climate change by incentivizing action through monetary or materialistic means, encouraging companies to offset greenhouse gas emissions by providing tax breaks, or allowing for the buying and selling of credits and etc. But according to recent studies, monetary and materialistic or extrinsic incentives might actually lower individuals and groups' likelihood to actually want to do something about the issue over time. There are a lot of psychobabble reasons for this, but suffice it to say that if you incentivize people by playing to their values, what they as humans prioritize and find important, they're more likely to be motivated to change. If your incentive plays to extrinsic values, just things that they want, 
you might actually decrease humanity's likelihood to address the problem overall. According to that NPR piece, intrinsically motivated pro-environmental behavior is more likely to be maintained after extrinsic incentives are removed. And extrinsic rewards can actually undermine people's intrinsic motivation to change. So if we know all of this, and we've known it since 2015 at minimum, why have we still not addressed climate change? Why are we still having to talk about this? Well, for one thing, we haven't successfully addressed all the issues brought up in this paper. Information on climate change is still largely shared in terms of numbers and statistics instead of through storytelling and experience sharing. Cultural and societal norms are still shifting in a pro-environment direction, but haven't done so to a significant enough extent to encourage large-scale change. Communicators are still struggling to focus on the present rather than the future and to change the conversation from what we will lose to what we could gain. And it has been a struggle to determine how exactly to intrinsically incentivize people on a large scale. Most importantly, a lot of leaders tend to lag behind public desires for change. Politicization, in-group outgrouping, perceived interests, and lobbying have led to significant divides among politicians, media, and leadership in the U.S. and the world. Often, the folks at the top are the hardest to reach, communicate with, and convince. But all is not lost. Insert upbeat funny quip here. Oh, wait, I was supposed to come in with something. Never mind. We're moving on. There are more people talking about climate change now than ever before. Progress is being made. Green programs are being implemented. Young people are standing up all over the world to demand action. And old people too. And coronavirus and other major natural disasters have impacted how we have this conversation and what we can refer to to help convince people. But there's one more thing we need to take into consideration. And I'm gonna let Sam nerd out here just for a minute just to let you know a little bit more about it. So brace yourselves. Yay! Okay, so like I said, I did a deep dive into this topic because I was intrigued. And there's one concept that caught my attention more than anything else. And it has to do with our perspective as human beings. I'm not going to go into every minute detail, but there is an explanatory video shot by PBS that explains how climate change qualifies as something called a hyperobject. To break that idea down, a hyperobject exists in more dimensions than we can readily perceive as humans, and therefore we can only see part of it at any given time, never the whole thing. We struggle to conceptualize the whole object because we can never perceive it in its totality. Climate change exists along multiple axes. It's a phenomenon that exists not only in space, but also in time. We can point to a melting glacier and say, that was caused by climate change. But there's no single all-encompassing thing that we can point to and say, that is climate change. In that respect, it's completely understandable that we look at climate change and feel entirely overwhelmed paralyzed by the enormity of the task set to us in stopping or mitigating it. Our brains literally aren't built 
to work on this type of problem. And one of the most essential things we can do is recognize that, accept that we can never truly know the full extent of this phenomenon or all the variables that play into it, and focus on what we can control. And that, folks, is what we call a shift in perspective. Climate change is kind of like moving because your lease is up. At some point, you've got to deal with it. And sooner is better. But as humans, we naturally try to procrastinate. Fortunately, we are very good with a little bit of work at overcoming those natural inclinations. So you've got to convince your friends to come help because you have that super heavy coffee table that you have to move. You can't do that alone. And also realize they may not be willing to do it, at least in the long run, for just pizza and beer. I would, though. I would definitely do it for pizza and beer. So instead, appeal to their humanity. They're good people if they help you move. That'll keep them in the game longer. The process may seem overwhelming. And like Sam said, you can't see every room in your apartment at once. Unless it's a studio, I guess. But there's no apartment studio equivalent of climate change. So. so what you do instead is break your plan down into small, achievable goals. Set benchmarks that you can see and check off. Get boxes. Pack all your plates. Label the boxes. Sign one climate-focused petition. Stop using one harmful product. Plant native species in your garden that you didn't redline because of Sam's awesome pod the other week. Make one call to your congressperson telling them that you either want them to support the U.S. taking the lead on green initiatives, or you want their help moving your coffee table. Not for pizza, but because you know they care about their constituents. You can always move apartments, but to quote Carl Sagan, like it or not, for now, the earth is where we make our stand. Little things are achievable. And lots of little things add up to big differences. Together, we got this. Okay, my friends. Here is where we get into what we have nerdily yet lovingly named the Cool It Toolkit. Just cool it. Every episode, we'll spend a few brief yet wondrous moments discussing what the heck you and everybody else can do about this nutball world of ours and what's happening in it. You can find all of the resources and links we mentioned here through the Cool It Toolkit page on our website. And feel free to reach out if there is something you want to see that isn't there. In this episode, we talked through how the human brain is just not wired to easily deal with the vastness and complexity and long-term consequences of an issue like climate change. And that's why we have to put in the extra work to change our perspectives expand our knowledge, and use the tools we discuss to educate and communicate with others about the very real dangers we face from this diffuse, multifaceted, wide-sweeping crisis. Our biggest piece of advice this week is do some research and work on shifting your own perspective. Watch the PBS video on climate change as a hyperobject that we linked in the show notes. I promise it will make you see things completely differently. Be sure to check out the resources we've shared about how psychology impacts our understanding of climate change and a few different ways we can shift our own perspectives and those of our organizations, agencies, and governments. 
Consider becoming a climate change communicator and completing training through groups like the National Network for Ocean and Climate Change Interpretation and on platforms like Coursera, some of which are online and on demand, meaning you could start now if you wanted. Right now. By that, I mean in a couple minutes when our podcast is finished. Also, check out some of the resources we provided on how to better communicate with people you disagree with. Shouting matches and challenging things people see as part of their identity only help in very specific situations. And if you're trying to point out the important details of climate change, it's not usually one of them. Also, I wrote a post for this week that pulls parallels between why it's so hard for us to address climate change and current crises occurring in the U.S. politically and culturally. So, you know, check that out too. Please give it a little polite skim. Just scroll the mouse over it real quick. It might be interesting. Well, the world is hotter. But hopefully we've all got a little more context for what's happening on it. That's all we've got for you guys this week. Thanks so much for listening to all of our shenanigans, especially Alex's shenanigans. And uh, please subscribe if you want to hear more from us on a weekly basis. Feel free to leave us a review on any and all of your podcast apps. Also, give us five-star reviews. There's no other type of review. It's not, it's not even an option. Don't try it. Don't even click on the stars to the left of the fifth one. Yep, no. Five is the only option. Oh, yeah. Also, check out our website, globallyheated.com. .com. Don't go to .net. It's, it's a weird site. It's terrifying. .com is the one you want. You can find podcast notes and follow along on our blog to hear about some uh, thoughts and maybe a few crazy adventures in disasterdom. And also find lots of cool infographics and uh, some helpful cartoons for your own visual edification. And be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Globally Heated for updates on the podcast and blog. The music in our episodes is by Kevin McLeod. Until next time, stay engrossed, folks. Stay safe out there. Da, da, da.